Super intense. <laughs> Hello, Reach Church. Wow. All right, all right. That's the first time I've seen that. That's super, super intense. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't think I'm going to be that good to live up to that. Sorry. Um, uh, so, good morning. Good morning. Um, for those who, uh, for our kids who are heading off to Reach Church, um, just, you know, if you're 0 to 4, you're heading to, to Reach Nursery. If you're 5 to 11, you're headed to, to Reach Kids over here. So, um, you can leave now. Sorry? Or you can stay. There's, uh, there's note sheets if you want to stay. Um, and those are found in the, the resource center. So uh, whatever, whatever works best for you. Um, now, before we, before we jump into the, the series, um, Everyone Needs a Friend, uh, we, need to, we need to do some church business. Um, so as, as you may have seen, the email went out that uh, Jack and Cindy Hickey lost their their son, Jack Jr., suddenly, uh, just a few days ago. And so, if we could join them in, in mourning and in prayer right now, um, let's go to the Lord on their behalf. So, please pray with me. Father, we, we cry out to you as children, not always understanding the work of, of you, our Father. And as, as we reflect on the loss of Jack Jr., we grieve and we we mourn and we see the, the evil and the, the sin that that can conquer and, and kill. And Father, we we join you in hatred for it. In hatred for death and hatred for sin. And Father, we 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 join Jack and Cindy in their grief. Father, we, we can only look to Christ. That, as we said, we, we believe in the resurrection. We believe that we will rise again. And we, we believe that because Christ did it. And so, Father, we, we entrust Jack Jr. into your hands. And we ask that you would help us to mourn with Cindy and Jack. And that you would help them to mourn in light of the cross. In light of the resurrection and what Christ has done. Father, would you help us to, to minister to them. Um, that we may share in their grief, and that we may uh, share in the hope of Christ together. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Uh, so, so we're entering back into our season, uh, into our, our sermon series. Uh, everyone needs a friend. Now, last week, last week we looked at Nathan. We looked at Nathan, and we talked about the call to rebuke. That friends, friends are called to rebuke one another. Um, and maybe that's, that's one side to a coin, right? That, that friends are called to rebuke one another. Um, but there's another side to that coin that friends are also called to be rebuked. And so if last week was the, maybe the easier side of it, that you are called to rebuke your friend when they're in sin, we need to be friends who are able to hear that rebuke that are able to hear when we are sinning and open to it. Otherwise, we're actually not able to, to receive a friend like Nathan, even as he loves us. And so today we're talking about, not Nathan, we're talking about David. That David, in the midst of his sin, he heard this, this, this terrible rebuke. A rebuke that would mean uh, the loss of a son. 
a rebuke that would mean uh, judgment for him. A rebuke of, of sin that, that seems insurmountably evil to, that it would be forgiven. How, how would that even happen? And yet in the midst of all of that, when David hears this rebuke, he doesn't get angry at the Lord. He doesn't have a pity party for himself. He doesn't throw it back at Nathan. Do you remember what he says? He says, I've sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. And he leaves it there. That is what he receives from this rebuke. And so today we, we have to admit that that's not how we receive rebuke. That's not how we receive it. If we are honest with ourselves, and we, we rarely are honest with ourselves, we are defensive. Maybe we got, go on the offensive and start attacking the person who rebuked us. Or we just feel, we feel crushed by our sin and nothing else happens. And when we, when we neglect rebuke, when we hear it, uh, we're resigning ourselves to a lack of growth, to a lack of self-knowledge, to a lack of, of sanctification, to know ourselves and, and grow in Christ. So we, we miss out on actually this great treasure that rebuke has for us. And most of all, we miss out on the fact that if we receive rebuke as it is, we should be able to rejoice afterwards. Rejoice that we are blessed to be forgiven people. And so that, that's the goal today, that we would receive rebuke with, with rejoicing because we are forgiven. And to do that, we're going to be looking at Psalm 32. Psalm 32. Uh, this is a Psalm of David. So if anyone's going to teach us how to receive rebuke, rebuke well, it's going to be David. And David writes a psalm about it. Uh, he writes several psalms about it, actually. Today we're looking at Psalm 32. That's on uh, 462, if you're looking for it. 462. And we're going to see three things in this passage. We're going to see three things that to receive rebuke, we need to feel the blessedness of being forgiven. We need to feel that. We need to find our forgiveness in God. And third, we need to follow the Lord's instructions. All right, so we need to feel it. We need to find forgiveness. And then we need to follow the Lord. All right, so let's, let's read Psalm 32. This is a mask of David. I'm not really sure what that means. No one really does. So don't worry about that. That's, that's not important. <laughs> Shouldn't have even read it. All right, uh, verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer a prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, 
or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord. So, not used to this Bible, it's kind of big. Here we go. Uh, First step, first step in hearing rebuke is to, as we look at David, the master of, of hearing and repenting, first thing we need to do is we need to feel what it's like to be forgiven. We need to feel what it's like to be forgiven. Look at verse 1. 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. This is David rejoicing. He's rejoicing that his sin can be forgiven. That his sin can be, can be washed over, it can be covered over. That he doesn't have to bear it any longer. And the, the Bathsheba incident, it entailed a lot of sin. A lot of sin. We have to recognize the, the gravity and what is really being forgiven here. It's a lot. It's a lot. And we, we ask, why, why does David feel so blessed? Why is he so blessed to have received forgiveness? Why, why are we blessed to receive forgiveness? I think, I think we can... We can kind of abstract it and say, okay, what, what, is, what is the blessing of forgiveness? Uh, maybe I, I get to go to heaven. Or uh, I'm, I'm justified. I'm, I'm good before God. Or uh, I'm no longer judged. I don't have to, I'm not going to go to hell. All right, those are all, those are all good answers. They're fine answers. Um, that's not what David is talking about here. Uh, he's talking about that, but in a different way. So when David thinks about what forgiveness for sin looks like, it's very personal and present and experiential. It's not pushed into the future. It's not kind of this abstract notion of, of being forgiven. It's, it's freedom from sin, from the oppression of it, from the weight of it, from the, the pain and suffering that sin brings. Look at verse 3. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. That's David's experience of living under sin. That's how he feels with his sin left unforgiven. Look at it. My bones wasted away. That sin is is eating him up from the inside. It's hollowing out his bones. It's eating him alive. Your hand was heavy upon me. That David can, can feel the weight of the Lord. He can feel the guilt. He can feel the shame. He can feel the, the oppression of sin. The Lord's hand upon him, he's being crushed by it. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. David is less, is less tired and weak. Lifeless, joyless, hopeless. And it's not that hearing the sin doesn't make him like that. It's being left in his sin makes him feel like that. It's that sin is crushing and killing him. And we wonder, like, is that how I feel? I think when we see that described, we think, okay, maybe, 
maybe this person is depressed. Maybe he's depressed, and, and we'd say, okay, we need to medicate that, or, which is a possibility. Or maybe, maybe this person is, is suffering. That life is, life is full of evil and sorrow, and they feel like this. That's a possibility as well, but, but David is presenting a possibility that if you feel like this, you're actually under the weight of sin. That there is sin that is bearing down upon you. We tend to disregard that, that aspect of feeling like this. That actually someone could feel the judgment of the Lord. Or feel like the, that there's something wrong. Something oppressing them. Something that they, they can't even see or articulate. That they wish they were different, but they're not. And, and we are actually given a name for that. It, it's sin. That there is this poison within us that sucks out the life and sucks out the joy and sucks out any hope that we might have. And David, under the weight of sin, this is how he feels. And there may be people in, in this room and in your life who feel like this. They're under the weight of sin. And as, as long as they are kept silent and as long as they're blinded to that, this is how they feel. And this is how they're left. And that, that puts the rebuke into a whole different light. If this is how sin leaves people, then rebuke is, is a blessing. A great blessing. That to have a Nathan who comes and, and opens your eyes to see your sin, to see the poison that is within you, so that it can be cut out, then Nathans are great blessings. They're not judgmental people or, or people who should mind their own business. No, they're trying to save you from this. From the weight and oppression of sin. And that's where if, if you see the weight of sin and you feel the, the need for forgiveness, Nathans are going to be a, a great blessing. And you're going to be able to receive their words. Now last week we talked about uh, what it looks like to, to be someone who rebukes well. And I'm sure you guys all know the three points of last sermon, so, so need not articulate them. No. Uh, all right, so good rebuke looks like um, being a friend to the person. That you have this relationship, a relationship of love. And it's out of love and self-sacrifice that you come to rebuke. And you're in this covenant relationship with your friend. So you're going to walk with them through the, the trials and the ups and downs of this rebuke. Now, that, that's what good rebuke looks like, but today I'm going to challenge us a little bit. Because that idea of rebuke can make us kind of prima donnas when it comes to being rebuked. We're a little finicky about how we like to be rebuked. And we know we kind of know how it's supposed to look, so the temptation is then to disregard people who don't do it, don't do it right. And so someone rebukes you and you go, oh, well... You're not my friend. Like, you, you don't, you're not qualified to rebuke me. Or, I don't, I don't think you've taken the log out of your eye, so I'm, I'm not going to take this back out of mine. Or, I don't, think that, I don't think your heart is in this in the right way. Are you loving me, or are you, are you judging me too? All right, that cannot happen. That cannot happen. That, that sermon was for, was for us last week 
so that we could rebuke well, not so that we could judge all of the rebukers in our lives. All right? If we really understand this and the, the evil of sin, we should take even the worst rebuke and look beyond the, the sin involved in it and be, be seeing, okay, this person is showing me my sin. And, and I need to get this sin out because it's killing me. And I hate it. And yes, you can, you can tell me, you can show me. That's our goal here. Not that we were ticky-tack with, with rebuke, but that we see sin and we're happy to see it because it's killing us. I think that's how David, David sees sin. And so when he's rebuked, he's able to say, I have sinned against the Lord. And that's all he says. Do you feel the weight of that? All right, next up. Next up. All right, so you've seen your sin, but we need to have something to do with it. And if, you're, if rebuke just leaves you feeling like a failure and feeling like a screw-up and feeling judged, and that's all you do with the sin, then your rebuke is just a curse. Rebuke is just a curse. So what do we actually do with our sin once we see it? We need to find our forgiveness in the Lord. Find our forgiveness in the Lord. Look at verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So how do you get the poison out? How do you get this, this terrible bone-eating disease out of you, you confess it to the Lord. You give it to him. You get it out by confession. And what happened? You forgave me. The Lord forgave David for his sin. And remember, these are not, these are not ticky-tack sins. This is, this is adultery and murder. Murder to justify an adultery. That's that's really bad sin. That's really, really bad sin. And, and we wonder, if we go to the Lord, how is he going to receive us? How is he going to receive us in our sin? Now, I know that you've probably gone to people, and they've probably received your sin in a different way. Uh, there's probably been a number of reactions where uh, maybe they're shocked shocked to hear about your sin. Like, what? <laughs> or, they're, or they're disappointed. They're like, oh, oh no. Like, why would you do that? Or there's the like, never talk to you again. That, that happens too. Or the never looks at you the same way. I, I remember, I always think of this a community group. I like shared a sin. And this girl just looks at me and she says, that's really, really bad. <laughs> Thanks, girl. Like, okay, I... I was confessing sin. Yes, you're right. You're right. Like, thank you for that. Um, and that, that's, that's how we receive sin in one another. And we kind, of, we kind of superimpose that onto God and say, okay, maybe that's how God feels. How does God react? Is he shocked? No, he's God. He's never shocked. Is he disappointed? Disappointment's kind of odd because like, Disappointment is like, oh, like, you're better than this. And it's like, no, God knows we're sinners. 
He's not, he's not surprised, and he's not like, he's not as apathetic as disappointment often is. Where it's like, oh, I just wish you wouldn't do that. No. And he's also not angry. In this passage, he, he very clearly, he forgives. He longs for people to come to him in his sin, in, in their sin, so that he can forgive. Is that what you expect from the Lord when you go to him? When you're in, when you're in, in the depths of it, do you expect God to react in forgiveness? That's the whole point of Jesus. That's the whole point of the cross is that you're not seen for your sin anymore. Christ, Christ has taken it. He's paid for it. He's killed it. And you are forgiven. He asks that you would come to him and confess your sin, not so that he can, he can chastise you, but so that he can offer you forgiveness. And that's the blessing of this passage. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. What does it not say? It does not say blessed is the one who has no transgressions, who has no iniquity. It doesn't say that because that's not, that's not a kind word to any of us. We would just be dead in that. So David then, he, he did it. He went to God and he found forgiveness. And then he explains it and, and, and calls people to join him in that. Look at verse 6. Therefore, therefore, he found, he found forgiveness. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. This is David, David evangelizing and like pleading with the Lord and pleading with the people. Like, go to him. Yes, you've seen your sin. Take it to the Lord. He forgave me. He will forgive you. He's pleading with them. that the, the judgment, the rushing waters, which kind of, you see the kind of mosaic, or uh, no, noetic, noaic language, having to do with Noah. Sorry, that's pretentious. No, noaic. Um, you see, the, the, the waters are threatening to come destroy you. And he's saying, no, the waters will not destroy you. You will not be drowned in judgment because of your sin. They actually won't reach you. And he's telling people, believe that. Please believe that. Go to the Lord. And then he starts confessing who the Lord is to him. Look at this. This is great. Verse 7. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. You are a hiding place. That is who the Lord is. To hide yourself from judgment. To hide your sin in God. You preserve me from trouble. God isn't coming to, to bring the trouble. No, he's preserving us. He's sheltering us from it. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I think we I think, we think that God is going to shout out us curses. No, he's shouting out shouts of deliverance. He shouts out to us, you are delivered from your sin. Do you know that kind of God? Can you say these things about God? That you are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You shelter me. I say we, we don't believe in that kind of God. And you can tell because how we, how we react to sin. 
we don't tend to react to sin like this. When we see our sin, we tend to first no longer feel permission to pray. We don't go to God and when he, when he may be found, we stop praying and we, we, feel, we feel awkward going to him. We start fearing the waves of judgment. Start catastrophizing and imagine like, what, what is going to happen to me now? Do you hide yourself in God or do you hide from God? Do you run from him? Do you hide from him? Do you go into self-preservation? That, oh, I, I need to rescue myself. I need to preserve myself from the Lord even. Or do we, do we start to shout? There's shouts of deliverance. But do we, do we start shouting to defend ourselves or, or go on the offensive that we need to condemn other people as we feel condemned? This is a picture of our God and this is a beautiful picture. A beautiful picture. And we wonder, like, why, why would anyone not do this? Why would we not run to this kind of God? And I think one of the reasons uh, is, is an ironic one. Um, I think the people most susceptible to denying their sin and avoiding their sin and and kind of covering over their own sins are people who are mature in the faith. Are people who've been believers for a long time. And I say that because if you've been a Christian for a long time, I think there's the expectation that you don't have a lot of sin left. That you've kind of come a long way in your faith and you've kind of largely had victory. And there's pressure to be mature. There's pressure to no longer struggle with sin. But then we look at our hearts and we see how evil we are. And yet we feel this external pressure like, no, I'm, I'm supposed to be so sanctified. I'm supposed to be great. And that's when this starts setting in. Maybe we start feeling like we need to start pretending. Pretending not to have sin in our lives anymore. Or maybe we, we start thinking about the external things. Like, oh, I, I did this. I did that. Maybe I'm good. And we start denying the heart. We say things like, well, yeah, but are you doing those things out of joy for your salvation and because and of your love for God? And then we're like, let's, let's not talk about the heart anymore. Like, that's, that's awkward. Like, I don't want to admit to that. Or maybe we start kind of hiding or pretending, putting on, putting on masks, putting on fronts. Because we feel this pressure to to be sanctified and to be good. I have to say, there, there is no greater rob or thief of joy than that. Than that temptation to, to pretend you aren't a sinner. I don't care how long you've been a Christian, you're still a sinner. And in this life, you will always be a sinner. Are you other things as well? Yes, you are also a saint. You're also no longer enslaved to sin, but you are still a sinner. Have you rooted out some sin in your life? Yes. Is your heart still deceptive and wicked? Yes. And we have to admit that. And honestly, we have to own that. And own it with joy. Because blessed is the man who is forgiven of his transgressions. The gospel is not for, for ex-sinners. 
or for like pseudo used to be not as bad as sinners as before. Like, no, it's, it's for sinners. And that's a joy for us because we know we are sinners and the gospel for us and, the no, and we are forgiven. We are forgiven. So what does that mean for, for rebuke? What does that mean for rebuke? If you're a sinner, you, you are fundamentally broken. Your heart loves things that are evil. That your sin actually blinds you to reality. That you're going to justify yourself, even in spite of what you know to be true and what you want to believe. And so, we need the Nathans. We need the Nathans to open our eyes to this. And when we see our sin, we don't need to get all defensive and crazy. We need to say like, well, uh, yeah, that's like, oh, you, I think you, think you actually said something really mean. I don't even know if you noticed. Our response to that should be, yeah, I'm a sinner. I, that, that sounds like a sinner. That probably is what I did. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard anyone respond that way, but like that is how you should respond because that is the case. Rebuke isn't bringing something you didn't really know about yourself. It's that, that, that is true. That's, that's me. Um, when we get to that point, then, then I think there's great joy in the Christian life. The blessedness of being forgiven. Jack, Jack Miller, uh, a Presbyterian minister from the 60s, I don't know, um, 70s, 80s, etc. Uh, he, has, he has this phrase. It's, uh, it's cheer up. Cheer up. You're worse than you think. You're worse than you think. And then the second part is, but you're, but you're far more loved. And you're far more forgiven. That we should cheer up, not because, not because we are not sinners, but because we are great sinners and we are forgiven. So see your sin and, and rejoice. Hear rebuke and rejoice. Hear the Nathans and rejoice. All right, last, last thing, last thing. We need to learn to follow God in the midst of rebuke. To follow him. And this is, this is, this is a, a great part of the, the psalm. The psalm twists uh, in, in verse 8. See, if you notice, there's a, there's a person change. It starts talking about I. Who is the I in this? It's God himself. God himself starts talking, and this is what he says. Verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. What's he saying? He's saying, when you hear rebuke, when you see your sin, I'm not, I'm not condemning you. I'm not judging you. I'm leading and instructing you. I'm guiding you to where you need to go. And he's begging with us to, to hear it. To not be like this, this stiff horse or mule who can't receive it and won't listen. And he's promised us, like, I'm not going to put a bit in your mouth and drag you along. Like, please just listen to the rebuke. Listen to the rebuke. All right. So what does this mean for us? All right, when you hear your sin, don't stiffen your neck. Don't like, Ugh. 
I need to hold my ground. Like, no, okay, relax, relax, loose, loosen, loosen up. Let your, let your neck loose. You're okay. Admit you're a sinner. Admit you're a sinner. Recognize you are blessed to be forgiven. And then hear the instruction of the Lord. This is not a condemnation of the Lord. It's an instruction of the Lord. What is he trying to show you? What is he trying to teach you? And he's probably telling you something about your heart that, that is very wicked and he's trying to show you your real motives, what you really love, so that you might love him more. So you might be more blessed in your forgiveness. It's those kind of people who can, who can hear rebuke like that who are wise and who, who know themselves and are sanctified and, and moved more towards the cross. So I'd call us to, to hear the instruction of the Lord. Look at the depths of your heart. It's not going to kill you. It's going to save you, actually. All right, last, last, last kind of point, observation. Uh, what the heck does this have to do with Jesus? Where is Jesus in this? Jesus never should have had to sing this song. This wasn't a psalm for Jesus. He never had to say it, but, but he lives this psalm. He lived this psalm even though it had nothing to do with him. We think of Jesus Christ on the cross. His bones wasting away. Groaning. The judgment of the Lord upon him. The hand of the Lord crushing him. We think of him dead in the grave for three days and three nights. The hand of death upon him. We think of him, as, as it says, dried up as the heat of the summer is upon him. You see, Christ on the cross, I'm thirsty. He was withering. Jesus takes on the oppression of sin even though he didn't have any sin to own. He was the only one who was blessed because he had no transgressions, who had no iniquity, and yet he, he owned our sin. He took it upon himself. He was crushed for it. And so if if Jesus can own up and, and own sin that wasn't even his, we should be able to own our own sin as well. Because our sin is not ours. Our sin is Christ's. We have given it to him. He was crushed for it. He was judged for it. And when he rose from the dead, he won the forgiveness that is present in this psalm. That he rose from the dead and he earned this forgiveness. It's not because God, God winked at sin or he, he said to David, oh, don't worry about it. No, he knew that his son would pay for it. His son would pay for it and his son would earn that forgiveness. So we don't have to bear it any longer. And that's where the, the great joy is that rebuke can turn into rejoicing and into praise. Through Jesus Christ. Look at verse 10. 
Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, O you upright in heart. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Trust in him to have forgiven you. And this psalm, this psalm ends in a funny way. It talks about, it talks about the righteous, the upright in heart. That's not us, but it's us in Christ. We are the wicked and the sinners who've been turned into the righteous. That's how we are received in Christ. So when we see our sin, we don't need to attack the person or defend ourselves or run from it. We can run to the cross and we can be people who are truly blessed to have been forgiven. Let's pray. Father, what joy. What joy to know that, that we don't need to put on a performance. We don't need to, to put band-aids over our sin, but they are cleansed. We thank you for the cross. We thank you that Jesus Christ has washed us clean. And Father, I ask that that would make us incredibly humble people who will see our sin and, and own it because we don't have to pay for it. Thank you. Thank you for Christ. Father, would we also be people who, who do not condemn each other, but proclaim the grace that is found in Jesus Christ? What a joy to know you, Father, who forgives our sins and, and is our hiding place, is our place of refuge, is our shelter. Thank you, Father, for Jesus Christ. Thank you for the life that you've given us. May we live in that joy. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.